In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. When you climb to the top of a mountain, you also want to come back down the mountain. Um, people who climb mountains often do so for bragging rights. I climbed it. They come down the mountain to tell people of their accomplishment. And if they don't come down, it means that they've died and their family and friends eulogize them for their bravery and might say something like, they died doing what they loved. Turning to our mountain climbing story for this morning, we note that two men are at the top of the mountain. We note that they never came down, Moses and Elijah. Moses went to the top of a mountain and dies alone on the mountain with God. God who buries him in the plain of Moab and no one found his body. So for all people know, he went up to the top and was never seen again. Elijah was simply taken up. He ascends into heaven in a whirlwind. And the story has both of them, Moses and Elijah, up at the top of the mountain, the gospel reading for this morning. And this, this underscores the action of the person, the other person with them at the top of the mountain, Jesus, who is a prophet and more than a prophet. Moses and Elijah are on the mountaintop as prophets indeed, but not because they represent the law and the prophets, but rather the fullness of the prophetic witness that points to Jesus. And as one commentator put it, Jesus is not a walk-on in the divine economy. Well, if he's not a walk-on, neither is he a walk-off. Moses and Elijah, as in walking off and away, Moses and Elijah are pointing Jesus down the mountain. It says they're pointing him to his departure, the exodus, where Jesus will die on a hill with a cross on top of it, another mountain, Golgotha, Mount Calvary. And so the way down is the way of love. And so on this last Sunday of Epiphany on the cusp of Lent, we consider two ways, the way of ascent, the way of glory at the top of the mountain, but only as the way of glory leads to the way of descent, the way down the mountain. That's the way of love. In 1 Corinthians 13, from this morning, our epistle reading, Paul shows what the way of glory without love looks like. Though I speak like the angels, and though I have prophetic powers, and though I know everything, everything. And though I have all faith, and though I give away all that I have, note all the ego eyes, the way of self-glory. And then Paul says, sums it all up. He says, if you have all of that but have not love, you are nothing. I am nothing. Self-glory is always empty. It never fully rewards then Paul goes on to describe the way of love. Love is, love is. These are qualities of self-giving that we give because we are loved, we are beloved. We give ourselves for the sake of others because we are loved. And you know what Paul says? Towards the end of that beautiful peon of praise and love, he, he says it culminates not in seeing in a mirror dimly, but seeing Jesus face to face. And this is the perfect vision at Judgment Day. And as I was thinking about this, this is precisely the opposite of the popular idea of going to heaven to get our rewards. 
All of you have uh, been told or told someone else who has done a good deed, oh, you're earning another jewel that you will get in heaven. As if the best Christian in heaven is a person you can't see because they're wearing so many jewels. Yeah, that's seeing dimly because of all the jewels. Our reward is seeing Jesus and being seen. It's agape love. It's seeing the other. It's seeing Jesus face to face. And because Jesus sees us face to face, we can see each other face to face in the image of the divine. And agape love is what makes us, enables us to become more human. And it's the kind of love, the unconditional love a parent directs toward a child and enables that child to grow and nourish and be strong and become a man or a woman of God, completely and fully human, following as Jesus did the humanity of Jesus. That's the way of love. The way of power always dehumanizes the other so it can destroy the other. The way of power without love. We are seeing this unfold right now in the Ukraine. Power might destroy, but it does not have the ultimate victory. Love does, because love never ends. Love outlasts power, it outlasts violence, it outlasts sin, and it outlasts evil, and love will have the final victory. Because if you look on the bulletin, that, 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 the front that Brad, that Brad uh, designed for us, it just, I love that bottom part, love never ends. Just remember that today. And this kind of love, this parental love, it's precisely the love that God directs to Jesus in his baptism, the inaugural love for his ministry, my beloved son. And on the mountaintop now, there's an expansion of that declaration of love. He says to Jesus, my chosen one, and it's interesting here in sequence, the chosenness follows the belovedness. Beloved and chosen to be the Messiah of God, to fulfill the office, the task of the chosen servant of the Lord. And the agape love that directs Jesus down the mountain to complete the divine project of making us in his image, of God becoming human, the incarnation, the word made flesh, dwelling among us and suffering death on a cross. And uh, this morning, as I was going over this sermon, I, I was thinking about how much we want to be beloved. We want the belovedness without the chosenness. But God calls us in love so that he can call us out to do the work of love. And the cross is the place where Jesus' glory is consummated, not in power, but in love. And on the cross, Jesus splayed out on the cross, absorbs all the sin and the evil in the world. He absorbs it and extinguishes it. The way of Lent is a way of love. It's a giving up of that which cannot satisfy and is empty, non-substantive, is nothing, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians. The way of self-glory, the way of pleasure, giving that up for that which always fulfills both our identity and our calling because it is the one thing that is eternally real, deeply real, love. James, Father James, called me from his sickbed on Friday. We discussed these texts, uh, and we discussed how an encounter with Jesus is an encounter with deep reality, the reality of who Jesus is and, and subsequently the reality of, of who we are. And on the mountaintop, Jesus is revealed for who he truly is. He does not climb the mountain to acquire glory. 
Rather, he goes up the mountain, the Gospel of Luke tells us, in, in, the, in his rendition, he goes up the mountain to pray. And as he is praying, he is revealed. Soren Kierkegaard wrote, prayer does not change God, it changes him who prays. Well, prayer did not change Jesus. Rather, it revealed Jesus for who he is. His identity as the beloved and chosen son of God. Jesus was not glorified at the top of the mountain. He was loved, and his glory was revealed. And so Peter, predictably, of course, thank goodness he stayed awake <laughs> to see the show, so to speak. He sees Jesus' glory. He becomes excited, and he exclaims, let's make some shelters. And, and Peter's suggestion is commonly poo-pooed, uh, you know, as, as Peter, again, putting his foot in his mouth um, or just trying to uh, stay in the moment. But it's a mistake to read it like that because the word for shelters is the word for tabernacle. Um, and having seen uh, his glory, Jesus' glory, and being reminded of that glory that was in the tabernacle that was built by Moses. And Peter is steeped in this Jewish tradition and this Jewish understanding. And he appropriately desires to provide a place for that glory. And Peter, along with all of Jews and Judaism, clung to the hope that God would once again tabernacle with his people as he did in the Exodus. And we remember Peter's encounter with Jesus from a few Sundays ago as Adam Wood relayed the story of Peter along with Gideon and Paul. But Peter following to his knees before Jesus, the Lord of the fish and the Lord of creation. And what does Peter say at that time? Get away from me for I'm a sinful man. And that confession will lead to his transformation. But that, too, was a glimpse of Jesus' reality, which revealed Peter for who he was, a sinner. And this is a most excellent realization, that we are sinners. As Dorothy Sayers writes in her book, Creed or Chaos, one of the really surprising things about the present bewilderment of humanity is that the Christian church now finds herself called upon to proclaim the old and hated doctrine of sin as a gospel of cheer and encouragement. That's because the trouble is not outside of us so that we cannot do anything about it, but is inside us and that therefore, by the grace of God, we can do something to make it right. And so on the mountain, in the presence of the glorified Lord, Peter does not say, get away. Rather, he realizes that the glory of Jesus will not annihilate him, but draw him close, will draw him in. And out of the glory cloud, God says to Peter and John and James, this is my son, my beloved, my chosen. Listen to him. Think of listening. Listening is profoundly relational. Listen up. Lean in. Pay attention. If you're not paying attention right now, you might start. <laughs> Don't miss a word. Listening is part of talking with someone. I'm talking with you now, even though I can't hear you. Not at them. Listening transforms a relationship. As Joel Erickson has reminded us in that sermon, I think it was last August, uh, on Ephesians, listening is an act of submission, mutual submission. And I say act because listening is active. And it always leads to, when we listen to our Lord and Master, it leads to discipleship. A good Christology leads to discipleship. It leads to loving and serving others. And so the reality of who Jesus is, 
who we are, who we are in Jesus, and who Jesus is in us will always send us down the way of descent, the way of the cross, the way of love. And to paraphrase C.S. Lewis, the weight of glory is also the burden of glory, the burden of my neighbor's glory, laid daily on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it, and the backs of the proud will be broken. Well, who is my neighbor? If you read the full account of the transfiguration on top of the mountain, you must not, must not forget, you must also read what's happening at the bottom of the mountain. Your neighbor is the one you encounter when you come down the mountain, and it's inescapable. Your neighbor is right there. When Jesus and his disciples come down, Jesus, who has just been with his father, encounters another father who has a son. And not, and not just a son, but an only begotten son. Does that sound familiar? And this father and son are in torment. On the mountain, Jesus, the son, prays to his father. At the bottom, a father prays for his son. And Jesus, with the word, quietly, not a lot of fanfare. He just says, get out. And the demon leaves and the, and the, the boy is, re, is healed and, and he's restored to his right mind and restored to his father, the son to his father. As we come into Lent, my prayer is that we follow Jesus, that we listen to him and allow us to restore us to himself and to one another. Amen.